When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone and welcome to Oh What A Night. Hope you enjoyed the new theme tune. <laughs> the lovely tones of Tom Mitchell. What a treat to have him involved in the pod. Um, we're part of the Nightingale Podcast Network and today a three hour special on Tango and Dombele's goal versus Sheffield United. <laughs> Get comfortable. <laughs> You're here for the foreseeable. And we may also talk about the good, the bad and the ugly and the beautiful in that game as well. I, I jest. We will, of course, dissect that that game, that three-one win over Sheffield United. To help me do that, some huge injuries there. I've got Jumperfield and Hunter Godson alongside. Hello, gents. You all right? Very well, mate. Very well. Yeah. Excellent. Jude, okay. all good. good. Yeah. Fabulous stuff. A massive welcome back to Shawnee Walsh. What a delight to get you back on the Sean. pod, sir. Sean. <laughs> Sean. I wasn't expecting that. I really ruined that thunderclap. That Hunter, was, Hunter was doing a thunderclap there and I just sort of filled in the gap. Yeah. Ruined the tempo. Just My doing... bad. You, you know when you're at a gig and there's like, and uh, the, the front man will like start a sort of a clap along and you'd mm. always hear that one person that's just so completely out of time. You're like, what are you listening to? It's not their fault, What Hainsey? song are you listening to? They just to? have no rhythm. <laughs> that's me. Steep, I am <laughs> stiff. Yeah, stiff as a board, uh, and I'm delighted to say, making his long-awaited debut on the pod is Windy. Windy, thank you so much for joining us. I should point out this isn't your first first cap <laughs> on the pod, is it? There was a trial run. Yeah. <laughs> we <had to> be, <laughs> that's we so we recorded the other day. We recorded the other day, and then like due to some software issues and meltdowns, we, we lost the episode, which will now be in in the ether forever. Unless someone can find it, unless someone can go out there and get hold of that episode for us that's lost to the annals of the internet. Um, I mean, and if you do, money, I'm sure it's it, worth... It was the greatest podcast episode ever ever recorded, frankly. I've said that in meetings. So that is absolutely <laughs> the case. It is. Phen- it was a phenomenal episode of us looking ahead to the Sheffield United game. So I'm, I'm sorry that we weren't around for you at the back end of last week, but I can assure you, Wendy's pre-debut debut was spectacular as i'm sure he will be today so um let's dive straight on in a 3-1 win so just sort of i'll I'll start with the the kind of baseline is everyone happy that we just didn't throw it away in the second half is everyone like relieved can we all let out a deep sigh of breath (sighs) yes i think it felt like a real kind of sunday stroll kind of game like because you know when we scored the first goal and it's just like, oh great, we're going to defend again for 86 minutes or whatever it was. 
And then we've got the second, it's like, oh, this might just be comfortable. This might just be like kind of background noise to my day now. <laughs> and then they got the back and you're just like, oh my God. And then obviously in Dumbo, they got the amazing winner. And then it's just back to that kind of leisurely pace. And it's just, thank you for not ruining my Sunday. Sean, <laughs> <laughs> sure, I've missed your optimism. <laughs> so good. That Thanks for not on. ruining everything. <laughs> that was so spot on though. I was, I was thinking exactly that, Sean. And I think, you know, I was, I was doing eBay packing. I've put a load of stuff on eBay and I was sort of just sorting it out. Tom had gone to I know, yeah, exactly. And I, I was like, yeah, this is just going to become part of my Sunday. And then I was so angry <laughs> when, they, when they scored the, like, the, the sort of almost trademark goal that you score against Tottenham now, swinging corners from the from the left wing. Um, but yeah, Ndombele sort of papered over any, any, any cracks, any issues with a beautiful goal. Do you, before we go into it, Top line takeaway from you, sir. Happy? Yeah, happy. Um, happy that they charged up the other end after conceding that goal and got another one straight afterwards. But we'll we'll get onto that goal in a minute, I think. A, a lot will oh. be said now oh. about about the game. We'll talk about it for, you know, 40 minutes. on. But I think we should also just sort of say how bad Sheffield United were. <laughs> <laughs> poor, she- poor Sheffield United. They were so, so... They just Did you hear them shouting after the first goal went in? They went like, oh, it's too fucking easy. <laughs> 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 from the, when the goal from the corner went in. God. I mean, yeah, if the, if you were looking for like all the tick boxes mm. to to show that the goal was too easy, Spurs scoring from corner tick, yeah. Serge Aurier with the header tick. I mean, that is just <laughs> coupon buster. Do you know what I mean? Frightening. Yeah. The thing is with Sheffield United, though, what we've got to remember is they're only part timers, and you know, during the week, some of them are literally been. <laughs> so you've got to keep that in the back of your mind. Mm, very true. <laughs> yeah. Is it, they should really be, like, the way that they performed in that one, it was almost sort of like there should be people in their gardens with Prosecco watching on. It was a pretty poor one. I thought Chris Wilder spoke well at the end mm-hmm. when he kind of, I thought he was very honest in his appraisal of where Sheffield United need to be. He's like, we need to be flawless week in, week out, and anything mm. less than that is just not good enough with the team that we're, that we're playing with at the moment, which is yeah. spot on. I can't, I can't remember who said it at half-time, but so, so one of the pundits pointed out that, you know, you're fought, fighting for a place to stay in the Premier League. You know, They all know the sort of the, the situation they're in. And it basically came down to people not couldn't be asked to make tackles. People couldn't be asked to... And it was just way too easy throughout the, the entire match. People not getting close, losing the ball in possession. I mean, it just... I was worried we were going to see a bounce back after their sort of their mini revival, and I was very happy to see that. No, in fact, we weren't going to get that at all. <laughs> it was it really killed the tempo as well, didn't it? Just mm. took took everything down to walking pace. Let's um let's jump on the the good stuff to begin with. Uh, Windy, I'll come to you first, mate, because you being the most positive guy out there at the moment about Spurs' current form, you can at least find one good thing to say, I'm sure, off the back of yesterday. What what did you enjoy about that performance? Uh, well, we won. That was that was that's the main starting point, isn't it? And this is the thing with Mourinho: if you win, it's not quite so bad. You can you can tolerate the football, um, and obviously Ndombele's performance. I mean, not just the goal, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about in some detail, but his general performance was just perfect. It's lovely. It's it kind of showed that he can play that sort of deeper midfield role. Although I'm really reticent to sort of make 
any proclamations given the level of the opposition. I mean, they were so bad that mm. they, they couldn't lay a glove on us. But, you know, you can only play what you're up against, etc., etc. And, and Dombele was fantastic. He, he covered as much ground as, as, well, more ground than any other Spurs player. Um, and he did everything that you'd expect an all-round central midfielder to do, including getting in the box. Mm. have to say that stat that you put out was a bit of a treat, mate, getting to see the, the amount of distance that he covered. Mm. Yeah, so I kind of put it out thinking... This is this is my way of showing that he he does do the work, and, and then people took it as, oh look at the transformation, which is kind of, I don't know, it wasn't quite <laughs> where I was going with it. Um, I I feel like he's been sort of yes, of course there were some issues at the start. No, undoubtedly there were some issues at the start. The Burnley performance was a nightmare, wasn't it last year? But I definitely feel he, he was quite harshly on by, uh, by pundits and Spurs fans at the time. I, I felt like he was putting in some good performances last year whilst he was adapting to a new league, which is obviously at a much higher tempo. Um, and for me, I, I just think he's, he's so good. I think it, it's so easy to sort of overlook a, a player of, of his quality if you're just looking for sort of aggressive running for 90 minutes. We have to just allow him to be what he is, which is genuinely one of the best midfielders in the league, probably one of the best midfielders in Europe. We're so lucky to have him and he's going to get better. And the way that he was deployed yesterday was part of a wider plan that actually allowed other players to, to shine, I thought, as well. And I saw you, you picked up Regulon. Um, what do you think sort of allowed him to um, perform at a higher level? I mean, he was great the other night as well as against Fulham, but he was he was at it again. Yeah, it, it just in that first half, he, um, he, was, he was seeing a lot of the ball and when he was recovering it he was being allowed to really cover a lot of ground um and there are a few there are a few little dribbles that he had where he really could have they re- they could have resulted in goals or if he had just made the right pass here and there um but yeah just without that extra man in in midfield without that Sissoko or Winks it just seemed to give our wing backs a lot more impetus in attack instead and Brookline always had that uh, safety blanket of Davis behind him. Um, you know, Dyer Davis still not totally sure over their aerial prowess as of yet, but it just it freed up Regalon a lot. And I don't think Son or Bergwijn had. I think Bergwijn was decent. I, don't, I think Son, you know, a few little moments here and there could have been a little better. But thankfully, you know, sort of setting up for the opposition didn't come back to haunt Spurs like it has done in the past, and actually worked pretty well. It looked like he'd almost been a bit unlocked, didn't it, Hunter, with the ability to sort of drift inside and do that kind of run that we spoke about a few weeks ago. We think he might lose it here. Like He's running with the ball three or four yards ahead of himself. He's either going to nip past that defender and be sort of three on two with 18 yards to go or seriously, seriously out of position. But with three at the back, it doesn't matter so much, does it? Yeah, as Jude said, the safety net was sort of set with Davis there. Um I, I was surprised at how slow he made a lot of Sheffield United players look, to be honest with you. I mean, he is incredibly quick. We know that. We've seen that before. But my goodness, he was he, he did it on a couple of times where he put it up on his knee and then dinked it backwards over himself, over the, the defender and just sort of ran. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, are these Sheffield United players really slow? Is their turning circle so slow or is very long, really fast? And I think it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. But yeah, you're right. His final, his crossing is superb. His final pass 
you know that that still needs a bit of work, and I imagine it'll come with time. But but yeah, what what a player and what signing! I honestly, uh, as Wendy said in the in the lost files, I think I haven't seen a fullback that good since since Danny Rose or Carl Walker at Tottenham. And and honestly, it's such a joy to have one that that quick and pacey again. Just to add on to the the safety net point that you made there. Um, I think the same applies with our midfield as well. You know, having that extra body back meant that we could take a few more chances. And Ben, you posted on Twitter the the um, clip of Fjordbjerg winning the ball high up, and it was a miscontrol. And if if the Sheffield United, I think it was Norwood, I, th- I think it was Norwood who, who miscontrolled. If he'd got it under and just and played it off, he would have taken Fjordbjerg out of the game. He'd have passed around Fjordbjerg. It'd have been. Um, you know, beyond that line of, of midfield. But with three players back there, you can take those risks, knowing that you kind of can cover off those situations better. If we'd been playing a back four, then I don't think Huibier would have been taking that kind of risk. Um, and so that's that's another benefit to the system. Absolutely. What did, what did people make of uh, Roden's performance yesterday? I thought that drafting him in, in that position, I was really, really worried that he... Uh, a, he wasn't going to get enough game time, as we we also said the other day on the on the the Lost Files pod that he basically is cup tied for every competition ever. Um, so I was a little bit worried that he might be a bit rusty coming into this one. He sort of looked like he was up to the speed of the game fairly easily, Sean. Yeah, I think that's promising in that. Hopefully, the level he's at now is kind of the maybe not the basement, but towards the basement. Like it won't be any worse than that, apart from maybe an individual error here or there. But he looked he looked fit. He looked. He looks quicker than Dyer, which isn't easy, but still, that's an important thing to have if we're playing the way that we're playing. Um, he just kind of looked assured. I don't, I didn't feel nervous. He didn't look out of his depth. Like I know when he came in against Chelsea, that was a bit nervy. But that was obviously a much different situation. It was a bigger match. But he looks like he's starting to find his feet in the limited game time he's had. And I can't remember who said it, but I saw it on Twitter yesterday. Or someone said like, there's, there's a semi decent chance that by the end of the season. He might be considered like probably the maybe not the best, but like the most promising of our defenders. Just because mm. I don't know how to rate a lot of them now. Like Dyer is so like when when we win those big games like against Arsenal, like against City, like he looks imperious, but very limited. But then winning those big games, he looks just so off. I think Hunter can atone that Ben Davis is not the best player in the world. <laughs> Um, Alderweireld, like I think he's been better this year than he was last year, but it's not it's not the same kind of player, and he's not going to reach those heights again. Sanchez just looks a complete write off at this point, which is really sad. Um, Tanganga's not even getting a look in now, I think. So, just got to hope that Roden does turn out to be as good as we hope he can. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I quite liked Roden. I I like the sort of combative nature uh, of his play. Uh, again, I, I said it before. Well, I don't know much about him. I didn't watch him loads at Swansea, but Jose Mourinho made a point yesterday that he has quite a high ceiling and that we're we're barely like sort of scratching the surface with him so far. So, I like what I see so far. He didn't look out of his depth, but let's be let's be really honest. Sheffield United barely troubled our back line, and there were still moments of of worry. And I think that mainly with. Dyer, to be honest, um, I, I sort of mentioned before we came on the pod, just the the, the way in which he got uh, isolated in the three and then burnt for pace by players like Oli Burke is slightly worrying if we're going to play that system. 
Um, you'd probably either want Roden or Dyer central in the three um, the entire time. So I like the system. I, really, I, I did enjoy it. And I think <clears throat> it was smart sort of matching off against them because it basically nullified everything that they had. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, we'll come on to the bad, so... Leave it for good for now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep spirits high. Do you know what? Nice, I'll get nice, easy open goal for us all. I'll start with you, Jude. But um, getting to see Harry Kane in that sort of in that sort of mood uh, was really, really pleasing, wasn't it? We'll not talk about that left-footed shank at the end where I was just waiting for the <laughs> net to bulge and instead focus on that lovely finish in the first half when we needed it most, really. Yeah, it was such a lovely goal. Um, and it was from that little moment of uh, Pierre Heidberg just high up the pitch, win the ball back and feeling him. But what was so lovely is it's just the way he turned and just drove straight like towards the goal. He just ran really centrally. He was palming people off, you know, like from his sides and just the the snapshot that he took just to get it under um, Aaron Ramsdale, who was a bit sort of erratic the whole day, really. He was had a rough afternoon, didn't he? Place. So yeah, bad. Oh my god, so bad. <laughs> he had a bit of a tough, a bit uh, of a tough time. I felt quite bad actually, but but also like he's not playing for Spurs, so it's a treat, isn't it? Being able to mm. kind of in, bask in the warm glow of Harry Kane being magnificent again, off the back of so many people prepared to just write him off and be like, "Oh, we're never going to see the same guy." Yeah. You know, watching and, and him drive into that position. And it's funny because he's like, he seems to be brilliant at everything now. So he's winning tackles. He's in the box winning headers defensively as well. And he's got that playmaking attribute to him as, as well. Mm. There's just like not a, not a weakness in his game at the moment. It's quite, it's quite amazing. There is one. Like... Oh, go on there then. is one. And Flav tweeted it yesterday. I thought it was a is very, very kicks? astute tweet. Is that? Oh, actually, the, the, there's two then because the free kick. <laughs> Get him away from free kick. But he's actually got some weird PTSD thing where now if he jumps up for a header and if someone knocks him while he's in the air, he goes down holding his ankle, which then gives all of us this massive bout of like anxiety. Like, oh my god, he's done his ankle again. He's done his ankle again. <laughs> he's absolutely fine, but he always holds his ankle. As soon as he goes down under any challenge, I'm like, oh no, Harry, please, no. And it, alongside watching Hoybier go down and Dombele go down and Son, that like, I think those four in particular have the capacity to make your, your sort of like heart stop more than anyone else when you see them on the floor for a prolonged period of time. But that is the extent at which I'm prepared to criticise Harry Kane. <laughs> Other than that, he's flawless as a human being. Don't touch him. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, anyone else want to raise anything good or flag anything good before we move on? Okay, right. We'll like take the shackles off so people can dig into the beginning of that second half in the bad bit because it was... I, uh, I definitely had the panic that we were going to go labyrinth repeat and slot straight back into the, the oh God, we've conceded. Are we going to sit off now? Um, was that shared by you, Hunter? Yeah. I mean, you could see at the beginning of the second half, we dropped, we dropped 10 yards again. And it was, it was um, a matter of, right, we don't think you're good enough to come and break us down. And honest, honestly, that first 15 minutes after the second half, which is when we, we, we tend to concede goals after half-time, 
and in the last 10 minutes of games I think is when we've conceded the most goals and it, it wasn't just a fact the fact that we dropped off and invited them on to us it was more a fact that we dropped off and we weren't pressing them at all so they had loads of time in possession and the goal was a perfect example of that the the ball gets moved backwards to the the left left back I'm not sure who actually swung the ball in but Bergvine and Aurier no urgency to get out to the ball and it's a really good cross that then is dealt with really badly Eric Dyer gets caught between the man and the ball again uh, Ben Davis doesn't realises it's slightly too late what's happening and gets caught under the arm of um, Goldrick uh, it's, it's bad defending it's a good cross uh, and then I was really worried because the momentum seemed to be with them so luckily Tango and Dumbele sort of killed that but again it does leave you wondering especially after the sort of ease of the first half, why bother dropping back 10, 15 yards? What is the point when we're so comfortable being on the front foot? They've had nothing. It's not like they're getting in behind us and they're getting loads of chances. It's it's in our interest to be on the front foot, to take the pressure off of our centre-backs and to keep the ball in the middle of the park, which we could if we wanted to. So uh, it's, it's just the same again, the same question. Um uh, I think I think Seb Stafford Bloor sort of said it feels like Mourinho needs to be right with this one because he's got it wrong already this season a couple of times and he's going to keep doing it until he's proven right. I don't think yesterday was quite that, but um, it is it's quite frustrating to watch. Windy, break this one down a little bit further for me because I, I saw a couple of things that you said about perhaps the way in which this is being perceived off the back of Harry Kane's comments saying it was... It was a player thing and a mentality thing as opposed to a tactical thing. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't disbelieve Mourinho when he says I'm not telling the players to to drop off and sit back. I, I, mean, I, I, I think, you, I mean, I definitely <laughs> you can make an argument that he's simply lying. That is, that's one argument. But I also think, I also think there's more to it than that. I don't think he's specifically saying sit back and defend the lead. But he's saying lots of other things which naturally lead players to do that, do those things, right? So he, if he's if he's asking them to defend the penalty area in a certain way and, and regularly talking about not making mistakes um, and only try flicks and tricks in the final third, then naturally they're going to have an impact on the way the players play with the lack of freedom, lack of creativity, um, the focus. As we saw in the documentary, the focus is very much on not making mistakes and and pouncing on mistakes that the opposition make. Uh, we saw him playing a clip over and over again of a poor piece of defending. Now, a psychologist would tell you that's a very bad thing to do. And in fact, you should be reinforcing positives, not reinforcing negatives. You should be saying, here's a good thing you did in that match. Watch it over and over again and, and, and repeat that action rather than here's a bad thing. Watch it over and over again and get that in, you know, ingrained in your, in your brain. That's a, that's a bad thing to do. But I, I just feel like all these things when put together, can lead to a team naturally dropping deeper and being more defensive-minded, and it does have an impact. Um, so I, I don't think he is lying. I just think he's omitting crucial detail. Go on, Johnny. I, I, I saw you were ready to go there. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say about the thing Windy t- touched on there when Rini was like, I'm not telling these players to sit deep, do you believe me? And I'm just sitting there like, No. It's either you're lying, or the players aren't doing what you what you're asking, and that's also your fault. So you still got to fix that. Hmm. And yeah, no, exactly. it's bad, surely. no, it's spot it's, on it's, though. It's, it's it's been happening for like well over a month now. It's just it keeps happening. This is 
quite clearly a problem. You've got to fix it. You're the man who's got to fix it. Yeah. Like, you can't, you, you can't like kind of turn your nose up at this kind of criticism that, oh, how dare you th- say that I'm telling these players to play defensively. And then a Kane coming out to say it's a cloud player issue does kind of help in that regard. But still, it, com- it does come back to him. Everything comes back to the manager, especially when we are now in this mindset of it, like it's good when we win and it's bad when we lose. Like there's no kind of justification either way. Like we don't necessarily play well when we don't win anymore. Like that, that's just how it is. So mm-hmm. when it's so results-based now, it's more results-based than it's ever been for as long as I can remember as a Spurs fan. <laughs> I was annoyed that he came out and was just, oh, I'm shocked. Um, Hunter, are you on? Right. Are you sort of same page there? <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can, uh, as the manager, you can't go, oh God, well, uh, what are they doing, right? Am I right? Look at these guys, what are they doing? It's like, no, mate, you're the manager. If you think they're too deep, tell them to get high. If you think that, that, that they've been too deep for four games running, well, then you need to get on the training pitch and sort of show them what they should be doing better. Uh, it's not good enough to just pretend that, I'm doing everything I could possibly do and these idiots just aren't listening. It's a it's a to and fro. Do you know what I mean? It's a it's a give and take. Maybe one of the um maybe one of the things that you could actually put in there to support Sean's argument as well is that it was the eighty seventh minute yesterday before we made a change. Like, and I wonder if you're like I mean yesterday was a very different game, but I wonder if you're concerned about the way in which a team is is playing or sitting. Perhaps there's an argument that we haven't got the personnel to kind of reinforce things in the midfield. But I'd argue that you probably could probably could look to make changes a little bit earlier. Is that fair? I think it kind of goes back to what Sean was saying. It's so results-based now. We threw one up. We didn't need to make a change. I think, you know, I actually think yesterday we didn't play very well. Uh, and I appreciate that People are really happy because we got the win, and it's you know, half absolute... an hour windy. Yeah, you absolute bottle job. I've been like a been like a coiled spring for like half an hour. No, honestly, it's it's really important to celebrate wins and, and enjoy the wins when you when you get them, particularly when you've been through a, a patch where there haven't been many wins to enjoy, but. I thought we played better in the first half against Fulham than we have in any of the other three halves since. Um, and that's backed up by the expected goals data. Expected goals isn't great for single single match analysis, but you know we, we made mincemeat of Fulham according to expected goals. We didn't do that with Sheffield United. Uh, the goals we scored were a set piece, great ball, great header, but it's like, you know, literally Aurier was just stronger than Bogle and heads in. And then we've got two pieces of individual brilliance. I'm still not seeing a coherent attacking team performance, which makes me slightly concerned about the future. That's that's very Mourinho, though, isn't it? He believes in that sort of individual brilliance. He doesn't believe in the sort of like overdoing it with tactical analysis in the final third. And he'll tell you where to be, but it's on you to sort of make it work and then wait for mistakes and all that sort of thing. And then I'll always come back to the the peaking manual, which I know I like to bring out quite a lot. The uh, the fake manual that the Real Madrid players spoke about. Um, so yeah, no, I I sort of, I agree with Wendy. I I don't think we played particularly well. I think we should have beaten them six seven one if we were playing particularly well because they were that bad. Um, and and this probably leads me quite nicely onto Lucas Moura and his. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I have been waiting for this because uh, I think if you're going to bring on a substitute and you have the ch- sort of choice that we have, you know, the, the uh, quite a, quite a 
subs bench we have nowadays. It's going to be Jetson, surely. <laughs> Do you know what? He would have been just as efficient yesterday. There were three or four times, basically, where Lucas Moura gets into the position of, right, there's a through ball, it is on, and there's a player through on goal. And he just doesn't, still doesn't have that vision or that, I don't I have no idea, the composure, the... I think it's a raw technical ability. The raw I, technical, like, uh, yeah. Well, look, think, that's to, all... without without meaning to put too fine a point in it. I think Lucas's skill set. If you said what is Lucas's number one, two, and three skills, his like the technique on his passing or his ball striking is not one, two, or three. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what really sums up how, what he's brilliant at is that second goal against Ajax in the Champions League semi-final where he doesn't have time to think. His feet are just moving quicker than any other player in the box and he's sort of pinging it around it goes in. It was an amazing goal. It was absolutely incredible. But if you give him time outside the area, and this is where Tottenham have always struggled, they can't get him in the area. They can't get him near the area. Um, and when he has the ball outside the area with time, he tends to make the wrong decision. And I, it was sort of worrying how easily he seems to be tackled, because at least when we signed him, it felt like he was sort of ghosting past players quite easily. I remember in the Champions League against Inter Milan, specifically in one game, he was absolutely, he was blasting past players. It looked like, you know, oh, we found this quite efficient winger who's going to beat a man and get the ball in the area. And he just has not become that. Maybe that's because of the system he's playing in. That I'm not blaming, I, I know... Mourinho's not playing him particularly where, where he wants to be, but I think if we can if we can get money for Lucas Moura and sort of move on and get someone who fits what Mourinho wants better in the summer, I think we should be looking to try and do that. And I think the club might be trying to do that. I, I suppose that there's all of us have still got like really fond memories of Aaron Lennon hugging a touchline, <laughs> and and even though his Aaron Lennon had very similar issues, I think in terms of. His actual ball striking was fairly poor, but mm. he maximised what he had, I thought. Yeah. He'd probably yeah. get himself into one-on-one situations, drive past someone, and then either cut back or just clip across. You know, he sort of knew where his sort of strengths and weaknesses were, I think. There's a lot of players in the Spurs squad who we've spoken about before. They've never really decided what sort of player they're going to be. And that's like a couple of different systems... I think you know Harry Winks is a victim of this as well to a certain extent. Lucas Moura could be one of those guys who becomes really good at getting to the getting to the line and putting a ball in. And I think that could, but we don't really play like that. One at the moment, and two, uh, it might be slightly too late in his career to sort of turn him into something else. Um, who knows? I don't think Mourinho is going to be the manager to sort of do it for him. And I also think the way that Steven Bergvine is playing. If you said who are you going to invest a lot of time in improving now, it would be Bergwijn over Lucas all day. So, yeah, I think I think for me it's one that is like thanks for the memories, Lucas Moura. You've honestly given me the best moment of my life, I'd say. But <laughs> thank you. Have fun in I don't know Brazil. Brazil's nice. You're from Brazil, China. <laughs> the, Get the, your money. <laughs> the, the only flip I suppose on the Lucas Moura thing is that. He's very much in the mould of what Jose Mourinho wants out of a team player. Someone that if he says, look, you're going to come on for 10 minutes and you want to give the similar sort of instruction that Harry Redknapp gave to Roman Pavlyuchenko that time, Lucas Moura will do that. <laughs> Lucas Moura will literally he'll come on and he'll work his ass off for 10 minutes and he'll, I mean, perhaps he'll, he'll make something happen in the final third. Maybe he won't. Who but would you prefer to come on, Pavlyuchenko or Lucas Moura? 
<laughs> See, I'm a romantic, so... <laughs> <laughs> I, like, in my mind, I'd rather watch Pavlichenko blaze one over beautifully from 20 yards mm. to Rose Ed than watch, like, Lucas Moura sort of squirm one five yards wide. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's, that says a lot about... Gosh, yeah, the thing is, managers are going to have their favourites, and I accept that. But the problem with Mourinho is all of his favourites are our crap players. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know where we go with that. Yeah. On fire, <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, we've got to we've got to get in the we've got to get in the ugly. I know we have kind of covered it, but it's, it's becoming a bit of a recurring theme. Um, conceded from crosses, isn't it? Um, and I'm I'm wondering whether this is just going to be it for the rest of the season, or whether there is something that can be done to to rectify that and change it. Well, we've conceded in a three, we've conceded in, in, in a two, you know, it's the same, it's the same players. I don't think you're going to get any massively different defenders, you know, coming in and, and doing it any better. If you're going to say the two who are probably best fitted, you'd say it's Dyer and Roden and both, both of them are on the pitch for another soft goal. So, it's the same area, it's the same issue, it's the same cross. I th- yeah. I feel like Tanganga would be a, a huge help with defending from crosses. He's he's so good in the air. He's massively underrated in the air. One of the things that's really annoyed me whenever he's played is when he played for the under-18s, he was absolutely sensational in the opposition box from set pieces. And he never gets sent up, never gets sent up. He's always the cover, cover on the edge of the box. So that would help. But also, I do think it is slightly overstated how bad we are from crosses because um, that is the it's to do with the proportion of goals we can see the type of goals we can see so we've become really 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 good at essentially packing out our box of defenders and holding midfielders and stopping opposition or players getting shots away inside the box so what they end up doing is funneling the ball out wide and sending in crosses so I think we're conceding more as a proportion of, of the goals conceded so it perhaps makes the, the, the issue of uh, conceding from crosses look worse than it actually is in reality. So it's a system problem, basically. We just invite so much pressure on that it's just sooner or later one of these crosses is going to... That's my theory. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. I suppose suppose the other side of that and where we should credit Spurs is that Mikel Arteta, we absolutely roasted him for his comments around, but look, we put 374 crosses into the box off the back of the Spurs Arsenal game. Like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? What are you talking about? But I suppose that there's sort of an element of truth in that, in that if if you feel like Spurs at some point will will switch off or there'll be a lapse in concentration that you'll get a chance. It was like we've had two phenomenal headers against us as well. I know that I'm sort of over-egging that, but the, the header the other night against Fulham was just a joke. I mean, what a header that was. Yeah, Cavalero does really well with a, quite a difficult ball. He has to create a lot of the pace himself. You know, it, 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 jumping backwards never easy. Um, I think I think Fulham now looking at it, you know, one all draw. Chelsea played them this weekend and and it gave them a real run, even with ten men. Chelsea really struggled to break them down. So I don't think you know looking at it now. A couple of days later, obviously we should have won that game because of the chance we created in the first half. But you know that that isn't the worst result in the world, I think. And look, as as we predicted, Liverpool and, and United draw, Spurs win, and you know the conversations around. Oh well, they're actually all oh, only a point or oh, two points off top. Blah blah blah. So you know, I think the narratives can wait for another sort of six weeks, right? Right. <laughs> I've left seven minutes on the clock. Let's do it. 
Tango and Dombele, goal of the season, stop the competition now vibes. Jude, you can go first. What do you make of it, mate? Um, well, it was it was a cross, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, you bastard. <laughs> you bastard. Get out. Yeah. No. You and Graham Sooners in it together, yeah. you dirtbag. Yeah, as soon as Keno backed it, I was like, yes, Keno. Yes, boy. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's it's tag guy, so it's it's something he's meant absolutely. Um, oh, but yeah, it was it was just a feeling of uh, of just beauty, and oh, thank God that went in, and now we can just sort of this should be relatively straightforward. But man, just a, like the bounce over his left shoulder, and then to just flick it outside of the boot, he's got such little like margin for error to get that totally right. And to see it just fall into that into that far corner was just. I'm still struggling. I'm still, I'm still struggling. It's just a goal that I'm totally in love with. It was ridiculous. Dreamy, absolutely just... dreamy, and lovely for Steven Bergvine to get a assist for that as well to get some. That was a brilliant returns from. Yeah, it really was. It really. I mean, I didn't think he'd do anything with it. And Dombele, I was like, all right, the best that happens here is he turns around and sort of recycles. But he was like, nope, outside the boot. Far corner. Mm. I think friend, <laughs> friend on, of the pod, sorry. Dan KP, has done a piece from today with the. I think Joe Roden. He spoke to Joe Roden. He said, "Who sort of said like none of us are surprised. That's the sort of stuff he does for fun." And it is good to hear that you know these are the things that he's going to be trying. This is the sort of stuff you know. Tango and Dumbele is the reason that we watch football games it's the reason why i enjoy watching aston villas because i enjoy watching jack Grealish. it's the reason why i used to watch newcastle's st maximan like these sorts of players make football enjoyable they're sort of the pure the purest the the players who can just beat a man for fun he was ghosting the sheffield united players like they weren't there yesterday and then that was sort of the cherry on top and it came at an absolutely vital time where you know, the, the momentum had slightly shifted, you know, winning the winning the Sheffield United sales from the goal and it just killed that completely. It actually killed the game dead, that goal. Everything stopped after that. We sort of stopped playing, they sort of stopped playing and the ball stayed around Hoybier for about another 30 minutes. Um, the technique to do it is fantastic. The vision to do it is, is unique and I just feel really happy and sort of... That, like, we haven't seen, we haven't seen moments of brilliance like like that sort of, like Son and Kane give you something, but that was something dip very different, and uh, yeah, it was just brilliant to watch. Dan mentioned it on the pod I think a couple months ago when he was saying about when Pochettino was talking about like the geniuses he'd worked with, he, he like was reeling off um, like Ronaldinho, Acocha, and Mr. Dembele was one, and he was saying that maybe and Dombley was now showing the signs of that he could have been a, that kind of genius as well, and that just kind of adds to it. That was, that was going from my head. I was thinking it was like, could you imagine? Ronaldinho scoring a goal like that and I was like that is the only player that I could ever imagine scoring a goal that mm. kind of way there's no one else it's it's just so fun to have this kind of player at Spurs again I echo everything all of you have said on Ndombele I think we need to just cherish him celebrate him enjoy him uh, he's a magician he's such an unusual footballer uh, he can do everything I mean he can literally do everything he's perfect uh, we just need to <laughs> make sure that he's in the position where he, he can thrive uh, and make sure all the players around him just trust and believe in him. We should be, we should be, what we should be seeing right now is, you know how Man City used De Bruyne, and this, everything goes through him. 
that is what we should be doing with Ndombele. He is that good. He is De Bruyne levels of good. And it kind of upsets me that he just is being used as a number 10 who, who gets the ball on the break every now and again. You know, he should be in a, a team that wants the ball and will, will use it regularly because, oh my God, he's such a talent. Right, I'm afraid that is all we've got time for this week. I know we could have done so much more on that, but... <laughs> We'll be back again on Thursday. What we're going to do on Thursday, we'll do a bit of a Q&A session. So get your questions in on Twitter uh, at the Oh What A Night Pod Twitter channel and we'll make sure that we get as many uh, answers to you over over the course of the next week or so on the pod. Hopefully back for you on Thursday or Friday. Just before we go, I want to draw your attention to Wendy's podcast, The Extra Inch. So, Wendy, I know we had a trial run of you teeing this up the other day and you inc- you were incredibly polite and friendly and sort of gently suggested that if people wanted to, they could listen to you. Be more hostile and aggressive and tell them that if they don't come and listen to The Extra Inch now, that you're going to go round to their house and, I don't know, put a load of billiard balls in a sock and get them while they're sleeping. <laughs> I mean, why not? I've I've got socks. Um, I, 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 I need to buy some billiard balls. I don't have billiard balls, so that's like a little flaw in that plan. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't listen, I will I will fight you. I'll fight you very poorly. I'm a very weak man who is ill-equipped for fighting. Uh, it's, it's a good it's a good podcast. You should try it. Um, no, seriously, it's a, it's a tactical look at Spurs from three nerds, well, two nerds and one person who kind of is a nerd but claims he's not. And uh, we, we've got a great little community going on there. Um, give it a go, see if you like it. Oh, look, I'm going to no add to that. Sorry, go on, Shorty, go on. No, I was going to say, it's like when Ned Flanders leaves mental hospital and he's like, if you really tick me off, I'm going to run you over my car. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I've got to say, it's, it's one of my favourite pods by far. If, if you want a really upbeat listen on Spurs and you want to feel good, whether it's a, a win, a loss, a draw, whatever's going on with Spurs, it will pick your spirits up and it will make you sort of... Uh, it, do you know what? It's a really, really big deep breath before you analyze sort of pod you know yeah. like when everything could be going batshit crazy it's almost like hang on pump the brakes let's look at what actually happened before we mm. just go down that route of do you know what do you know what the perfect analogy for this is i don't think any of you would have ever been like get rid of that end on ballet <laughs> yeah. do you know what i mean you're like, deep breath come on everyone we can be practical about this. So do go and give the extra inch a listen. It's such a good podcast. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, and make sure you check out all of the guys on social. We'll be back on Thursday or Friday this week. So make sure you look out for that. Subscribe if you haven't already. And do leave us a review. It'd be very much appreciated. We'll see you all next time. What a feeling, what a night. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.